In the year 1847, a commissioner of wine in a small town in France was asked by his parish priest to share some of his poetry for use in the church. Placide Capo agreed, and he wrote a poem that was guided by Luke chapter 2 and the birth of Jesus that would be called Cantique de Noel. Eventually, the poem would be set to music, and it would make its way through the churches in France, and eventually was picked up by an American who would bring it across the Atlantic and translate it. Today, we know it as the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. In the 1800s, when the hymn was written, the Franco-Prussian War raged in Europe, and the Civil War raged in America. Millions of people did not know peace. This is perhaps why the first verse of this song struck a great chord in the hearts and on the lips of everyone who sung it. It says this, it's familiar to you, it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. What a wonderful expression. I think our world is weary today. And there's a lot of reasons why. This morning we'll try to put some words to some of those reasons. When someone is weary, They lack energy and the ability to properly engage in the situation that's before them. After time, weariness can move toward desperation, and this results in one grasping for things. While you are exhausted, you don't think clearly, and then you begin to misinterpret or misascribe what can actually deliver you from your weariness. And so misplaced desires for the weary person becomes the thing that they reach for. But those things don't actually give you life. They don't actually give you rest. They don't actually give you renewal. Some of us, probably most of us, are weary. (laughs) In fact, I think the whole world is weary right now. And in our weariness, we see it again and again and again, the grasping for things that will not ultimately renew. But as the hymn says, with the coming of Jesus, a weary world rejoices. And I want to invite you to explore that idea with me this morning. How is it that the coming of Jesus can allow a weary world to rejoice? This morning and 
this upcoming week on Christmas Eve, we're going to explore these biblical themes of Advent and how they explain this dynamic of a weary world rejoicing. This morning we'll look at three of those themes. We'll look at the promises of love and of joy and of hope. And on Christmas Eve we will consider how Jesus' coming is ultimately the ushering in of a new kind of peace. But this morning, we take heart in the midst of weariness because a weary world can rejoice at the coming of Jesus. And the first way that we consider this weary world rejoicing is because Jesus embodies the love of God the Father. Love is one of the themes of Advent, as you know. And in this weary world, we see one of the ways that we are so weary is that we're weary of politics. And not just in the United States, but around the world. I love politics, but I am so weary of it. How about you? There's a lot of reasons why. We have the propensity to gorge ourselves on the consumption of the political pundits, and that can be both addictive and exhaustive. It makes us high-strung and feeds anxiety. Some of us are weary because of the sense of helplessness that we have to do anything about the current situation, but yet even though we feel helpless, we can continue to consume the political information anyway. Probably all of us are weary of being lied to. (laughs) Probably all of us are weary that it seems like right now that we can't have an honest exchange of ideas without the fear of great offense, of conflict, or of having a relationship that you value being canceled. But in the midst of a world that is riddled with strife and political discord, a weary world can rejoice because at the coming of Jesus, God's love is on full display. John 3.16, of course, tells us the motivation of God in sending his son. For God so loved, he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And all of us, I think, probably have had some relationships or experienced some kind of love that we thought would be perfect in its effect. Whether that's in your own marriage or whether that's with your children or whether that's the relationships of people you know, love that you perceived would be the purest form of love. But that love turns out to be far less than perfect. We even have a phrase for that reality. Maybe you've used it. We say that a relationship finally gets real when the chrome wears off. But the sending of the Son of God shows the great links in which God would show his love for us and that his love is not simply a redemptive love. It is not just a love of sacrifice, though that is maybe its greatest effect. That, in fact, Jesus displays to us what perfect love 
exists and what it looks like between him and the Father and how that is extended to you. He says this in John chapter 17. You might remember John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he's praying to God for Christians. And he says this, he says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. In his book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves highlights this when he says, the Father sent the Son to make himself known, meaning not that he simply wanted to download some information about himself, but that the love the Father eternally has for the Son might be in those who believe in him, that we might enjoy the Son as the Father always has. Jesus embodies the love of God in perfection, love that has been in existence for eternity past, (laughs) so that you might know God and enjoy his son in the very same eternal reality. Now, how does this kind of love address your present weariness? There are a lot of ways. Here are just a few. It means at least three things. It means that when I'm frustrated or angry at the present world, that I can trust the one who holds it all together and that he will provide for me because he loves me. (laughs) It means that if I've been rejected or blocked out or canceled by people I care about, I can experience an even greater love, in fact, a perfect love, where our human imperfect love actually fails. And it means that no matter how great your guilt or shame that God will never leave you alone because he loves you. Dallas Willard, who lost his mom at a young age, writes of a little boy whose mom had died. And this boy was especially sad and lonely at night. He would come into his father's room and he would ask if he could sleep in his bed with his father. And even then, the boy could not rest until he knew not only that he was with his father, but that his father's face was turned toward him. And so in the darkness, he asked, Father, is your face turned toward me now? Yes, his father would say. You are not alone. I am with you. My face is turned toward you. And when at last the boy was assured of this, he could rest. Willard concludes, how lonely life is. Oh, we can get by in life with a God who does not speak. Many at least think they do so, but it's not much of a life. And it's certainly not the life that God intends for us or the abundance of life that Jesus came to make available to us. 
Some of us have been running from God for a very long time. Some of us ashamed, riddled with guilt. Some of us jaded or angry or some of us perhaps just apathetic. But you need to know this. God loves you. He loves you. God has turned his face toward you. And the coming of Jesus is proof of this perfect love. A weary world can rejoice because Jesus has come. But friends, we live in weariness and this weary world can rejoice not only because Jesus has come and displays God's love, but also because Jesus comes and he gives us joy. I think of the Christmas song that talks about tidings of comfort and joy. (laughs) Those are tidings that I need right now. I don't know about you, but this world is so weary, and some of its weariness is due to the technology that we engage in. Technology has so many advantages in this life, so many dynamics for communication and expediency, and yet for all of those advantages, there are a number of disadvantages as well, things that technology does to us that are maybe the unintended consequences. I think of two, there are many more, But two that contribute to our weariness in this particular culture and time of year is the fear of missing out and information overload. The fear of missing out has become a reality for people for many years now. It actually has its own acronym. You probably know it. FOMO, fear of missing out. Technology enables us to share what we are doing all of the time and to see what others are doing all of the time. And some of you are really good at showing us what you do all of the time. (laughs) And this leads to the temptation for some of constant comparison. We see on social media what other people are doing and some of us are tempted to think things like, wow, they have a lot more fun than I do. Wow. They have more friends than I do. Wow, they must make more money than we do. Wow, I thought I was content, but now that I really start to think about it, I want to be on the type of vacation that they go on. The months are passing by. The years are passing by. I still haven't been able to do the types of things that they get to do. And I don't want to miss out any longer. Another element of technology that makes us very weary is the reality of information overload. Right now, I looked yesterday on my computer at home, I have 26 news websites bookmarked. Information at the ready. Politics, current events, sports, weather, local, national, global. Well, the Wall Street Journal recently did an article on the concept of a dopamine fast. Maybe some of you have heard of that. You know that every time your smartphone gives you a notification, a buzz, a ding, the phone rings, 
You get an update from a news site or an email or a text message or a call or even one of those games that you might play on your phone and it gives you a little notification. It's your turn with words with friends that the process in your brain that happens is that you have a small dopamine release that happens. It's a chemical release that happens in your brain that makes you feel really good for a very short amount of time. And what inevitably happens is after that release, you eventually have a letdown. Now, some of us receive hundreds of these types of notifications every single day. And so you can begin to see the pattern Spike, let down, spike, let down, spike, let down, let down, let down, let down, let down. You get the point. Weary. (laughs) But a weary world can rejoice at the coming of Jesus because in the midst of these types of realities, there is a greater reality, and it is that Jesus gives us joy. Joy is happiness, but it's not just happiness that is based on the circumstances around us. It is deeper than that. Joy becomes an outlook or a disposition that overcomes the way ups and the way downs, the excitement and the weariness of life. Some people think about joy like something they can put on like a mere accessory when you're going out on a special occasion like jewelry. But that isn't joy. (laughs) Joy is something that becomes a part of you. It's in your bones over time. It emanates from your pores. You can't just take it on and take it off. It changes you because it becomes a part of who you are. Now listen to some of the scriptures about Jesus' coming and how that is joy-inducing for people who are weary and people who have a sense of expectation for God. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, God is speaking to Israel through the prophet and he said this. He says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What's happening there? In the midst of judgment and the invasion of a foreign land, there's a promise of joy. God's people who had been reaping the consequences of their rebellion and sin had an opportunity in their future, and that opportunity was for lasting contentment and joy. This joy of their return to their home someday would point them to a greater joy, a joy for all of those who had been ransomed of God by the one who ransomed them, God himself in the flesh, the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 tells us of the wise men who were looking for the one that was foretold. And this is what it says. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. 
the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the midst of the glory of the Lord and the fear of a supernatural being, there is an announcement of great joy. The message is this, don't be afraid. We are not coming to execute judgment upon you. In fact, just the opposite. We are coming to announce the Savior to you. And the pronouncement is good news. The word gospel means good news. That God in his grace would give you joy. And so how does that type of joy that happens at the coming of Jesus, how does that bring you joy in the midst of this present weariness? Well, there are a number of ways. The incarnation means, certainly, that the nearness of God is here, and that produces in us a buoyant type of joy, that God came all the way down, (laughs) He transcended all of our human experiences and not just all the way down to here, but then all the way down to the grave so that we would have joy purchased by him that transcends our circumstantial happiness. We experience a joy as we fellowship with God. We have a joy, the scriptures say, as we have a oneness with each other. And here's something that's really interesting to think about as it relates to today. What is typically the antidote for fear? The antidote for fear that you hear about all the time today is what you might think. It's strength and courage, right? Don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. And we see elements of that, of course, in the Bible. But here, what is the antidote for fear? It's not be more courageous in the midst of a pandemic. (laughs) It's not be more courageous in the midst of political discord. It's not be more courageous in your own family. Here, the antidote for fear is joy. How does that work? It works because joy points to what we treasure the most in this life. Philippians chapter 4 tells us that we can have contentment and joy in all circumstances. Why? Because your joy points to what you treasure the most. And when Jesus came, and God drew near, and he came into your life, what you treasure the most changes. (laughs) And so you can have joy. A weary world can rejoice because Jesus has come. Thirdly, In the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we sing, 
the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. A weary world rejoices because the coming of Jesus gives us hope. It displays the love of God in all of its perfection. It can give us joy as we embrace him, but it gives us hope. Friends, the world is so weary. We've mentioned how politics and technology make us weary, but the most obvious, of course, is the nature of a global pandemic. The COVID tensions just make us weary. For some of us, that weariness is related to uncertainty about the future. Others of us, fear makes us weary. Fear for ourselves or for ones that we love. How bad will it be if I get it or if somebody I know gets it or gets it again? For others of us, the thing that makes us weary is the conflict, right? The tinderbox, the relational weariness that you talk to somebody who you think probably has the same sort of view about all of these things as you do and then it takes you about 45 seconds into the conversation to say, oh, might be looking at this thing a little bit differently. For me, and I know I'm not alone, some of the weariness is found just in the back and forth, back and forth, open and closed and open and closed and oh, we're good and oh, no, we're not. Nope, here's a variant and here's another variant. Can you even pronounce that variant? And on down the line. Weariness is found in not knowing what to believe or who to believe. And weariness is found, quite frankly, in just the conversation itself. I've been in plenty of meetings over the last month where we begin with, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? How are you doing? What are we going to talk about today? This is what we're not going to talk about today. (laughs) We're not going to talk about the pandemic because I'm sick of talking about it. And so how does hope shine through at Christmas? How does Jesus give us hope? But listen to the scripture. Luke chapter 2 tells us of Simeon and Anna. And when we think of Anna, it says in verse 36 that there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, that very hour that Jesus was presented to Simeon, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. God had been silent for 400 years. No one had prophesied. The conquering Romans had taken their hold. Many did not know where to find their hope. And yet there was this faithful widow named Anna. And think about the details for a minute. It was exceedingly difficult to be a widow in the ancient world. And she was widowed after just seven years of marriage. 
So try to do the math. She probably got married in her teenage years, like many young women did at that time. And so she was a widow from the time that she was in her early to mid-20s to the time of, of this accounting, which she was 84 years old. She had her entire adult life in which she only knew toil and struggle. (laughs) She had to be weary. And in the midst of uncertainty for herself and for her people, upon the presentation of Jesus, she found hope. When she saw him, her hope was realized. Her hope for herself, her hope for her people was realized in his coming. And it points back to all of the Bible verses and psalms and expressions of hope that people had had again and again and again through the years. Things like Psalm 119.14, which says, You, God, are my refuge and my shield. I've put my hope in your word. Or Hebrews 10.23 that says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Or Psalm 130 verse 5 that says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. Friends, there are so many types of uncertain hope that we are resting in today that are based on the circumstances around us. What is going to be the thing or the things that will make my life better? Maybe for some of you who are single, you hope and your hope is that you will find a spouse someday. Perhaps for some it's that the economy will normalize. Maybe it's that your political candidate will be elected to the White House in just a few years and you know the country will be better then or that your chosen political party will take control or keep control of Congress. Or maybe your hope is just more general that maybe one of these days COVID will and disappear. But those are all uncertain hopes Because when those hopes are unrealized, your weariness is just exacerbated. Or perhaps those hopes are realized, maybe even all of them, but they don't yield the result that you expect because there's always another struggle. But you don't have to live in uncertain hope. You can have certain hope. And the coming of Jesus gives us that hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's certain, friends who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is certain, friends, guarded by God. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's weariness. (laughs) So that the tested genuineness of your faith 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The school system in a large city had a program to help children to keep up with their schoolwork while they were in the city's hospitals. And one day, a teacher who was assigned to the program received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child, and she took down the child's name and the room number and talked briefly with the child's regular teacher. She said, we're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now. I'd be grateful if you could help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that very afternoon, but no one had mentioned to her that the boy had been very badly burned and was in great pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. And after some time together, she left and she felt that she hadn't accomplished much. But the next day, a nurse asked her, what did you do to that boy? And the teacher felt that she must have done something wrong and she began to apologize. And no, 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 the nurse said, you don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's though he's decided to live. <laughs> Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Everything had changed when the teacher had come and he had come to this simple realization and he expressed the realization this way. He said, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? Some of you are weary. <laughs> I think most of the world is. It's been a struggle. You've had your hopes up and your hopes dashed. Again and again. People you love may have turned from you and that hurts. The division among humankind is palpable at the moment. The world is indeed a dark place. People can be really nasty and you don't know what's going to happen next. In fact, it's hard to see beyond today. But you know what? God wouldn't have sent his son if you were irredeemable. He wouldn't have sent his son if we were destined for the darkness. He wouldn't have sent his son if the weariness would simply win. But he did send his son. And so friends, you can have hope. A weary world can rejoice because Jesus has come. 
a weary world can rejoice because Jesus has come. Merry Christmas, friends. And I hope that in your weariness, you are able to rejoice in his coming this year. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for joy that is everlasting, for the embodiment of perfect love, and for hope that is certain. Help us to feel it, to know it, to experience it, even now, because of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.